This is the Epilog Audio Experience. Quick disclaimer for a podcast, the SOS show, points discussed in this podcast should not be relied upon as conclusive medical advice in any case. The host shall not be a substitute for proper medical professional. You must seek professional help in case of any requirement. Thank you. We are in conversation with Bhargavi Dawar. She is a childhood survivor of psychiatric institutions in India. She has endured three decades of trauma based on that early exposure. She has done a lifetime of work on questioning the assumptions of psychiatry and its institutions. Struggling still with trauma memories, every now and then she identifies as a person with psychosocial disabilities. Bhargavi has published several books on gender and mental health. She has served as director for 20 years in the Bapu Trust for research on mind and discourse Pune. Through Bapu Trust, she realized her vision of creating non-violent and community-based modalities of offering psychosocial support to people with mental health problems and disabilities. Bapu Trust is the largest inclusion project in Asia-Pacific regions and stands as a good practice example of using creative, culturally ingrained ways of enabling community support systems for persons with mental health problems and disabilities. Hi guys, welcome to the 76th episode of our podcast, The SOS Show with me, Sujata. Thank you for joining in and enjoy this conversation. Hi Bhargavi, welcome to the 76th episode of our podcast, The SOS Show, and thank you for joining in. And it took a while to find you and I'm surprised why did that happen? Yeah, we're not very visible, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, uh, they, we take great pride in saying that our program is uh, done by word of mouth. And, uh, you know, 2021 is not a time when you do things word of mouth, you see. Yeah. We're not, we're not. <laughs> so that's possibly the reason. Well, we work in low-income communities. We've been working in the slums of Pune for a very long time. Mm. And uh, the digital world is still to catch up with us, you know, so, <laughs> okay. so that, that's the problem. Yeah. Right. Uh, Mark, you've mentioned in your bio, which uh, which I read before, that you are a childhood survivor of psychiatric institutions in India and you endured three decades of trauma based on that early exposure. Before we come to the main theme of the entire topic of this episode I just want the listeners to know a bit of your backstory that where are you coming from? My name is Bhargavi Venkata Subramaniam. That was how I was born in, you know, into this world at, uh, uh, in Chennai. Uh, when I was about uh, five, six years old, I had, you know, much more than my dose of exposure to the Indian post-colonial uh, mental asylums of Chennai. Mm-hmm. Um, where my mother was institutionalized repeatedly by force. Um, so you could call it a kind of unlawful, illegal detention of someone who was considered to be requiring health care. Mm-hmm. Um, and so left a very deep impression on my mind, of course, but more than that, uh, created a lot of trauma memories for me, which were very sensory. Um, so, it, you know, trauma, if, uh, you know, if you're very aware of uh, the 
contemporary trauma framework uh trauma is about visual memories uh you know things that suddenly pop up as a uh, as a smell uh, as uh, you know as things crawling on your skin nightmares uh so I, i i had all of that for many many years until very recently even now i have them but uh, i'm almost 60 next year um i have them even now but they are not so intense um mm. as it was say 10 20 30 years ago um mm-hmm. yeah so um that's where i come from my mama used to get institutionalized there by my family members she lived she was a lead uh, she was the oldest eldest uh, daughter in law in a mm-hmm. joint family joint family of various brothers sisters uncles aunts cousins all of that grandparents you know great grandparents all of that it was a very large household um basically she was a religious person um and she loved to spend hours writing poetry and uh, reading uh, uh, spiritual literature and praying to lord krishna and other uh, hindu gods so this was not very accepted because it was felt that she was being derelict in her duties to her mm-hmm. family members and you know not caring for the household things like that though she was a very good housekeeper she was an amazing cook mm-hmm. um all of that but she never did enough according to the family members so they mm-hmm. uh, they called her insane and she went in and out of course there were property matters there were people to appropriate property because she was of unsound mind all of that so that was my childhood did you feel now when you look back do you feel that like she was diagnosed with schizophrenia i don't know what how that was around that time yeah we're uh, talking we, about absolutely we were talking we're talking about the 1960s i was born oh in 62 God, yes. so, yeah 1960s so how was yeah. that perceived around that time and also what was the whole interaction of the doctors around that time with schizophrenia and now when you look back do you think that that was justified do you think that she had schizophrenia do you think it was it's something quite hazy and we still don't understand it well uh um so that's 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 in fact my entire life search you know mm-hmm. um i would i would you know if i were to do things all over again uh, mm. starting from age 5 i think i would just like to have crawled back into my mama's tummy and just stayed put it's a fear i've not seen much change with respect to either mental institutions yes. or to mm. the diagnosis and uh, this is post colonial mental health care system mm. which we have derived from the british and that hasn't changed much Mm. uh of course uh, this is you're talking about early 19 uh, late 1950s and early 1960s uh when uh, you know the antipsychotic medication had just started coming in uh psychiatry as a discipline was just emerging uh on the back of these first generation drugs um and so we did have doctors but i would say that at the time the mental asylum was more popular for people who were considered to be of unsound mind uh, at that time we had the indian lunacy act of mm. 1912 which was not changed until 19 uh, 1987 but not implemented even till date 
so on and so forth. So you had uh, old uh, perceptions, um, mm. you know, of people of unsound mind not being capable of living a life on their own terms. Mm. Uh, and so that's more of what we saw, you know, than uh, schizophrenia. Of course, they found names for it at that yeah. time. Mm. Yeah, even when I was doing my research in the 1980s uh, mm. on women's mental health, mm. uh, I was looking at uh, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual uh, Volume 2. Now we have Volume 5. Mm-hmm. At that time, we had Volume 2. And it had only about like 40, 50 diagnostic categories of which schizophrenia formed a large part of diagnosis. Um, and so she did get diagnosis of schizophrenia because she was highly spiritual. She was uh, talking to God. She could see beings around her uh, and so on and so forth. And so she was uh, she was uh, diagnosed with schizophrenia and started on first generation antipsychotic medication. It, uh, mm-hmm. disab- it disabled her for life. She, mm. by the time she was 40 years old, of course, she ran away from these places and she was continuously running away from the institutional care as well as from these medications. She was running, literally running away. She would pick up whatever money she could find in the house mm. and scoot. She would scoot from there with her poems and registers and little God and everything. Mm. Uh, and then the police would be sent after, you know, to find her, you know, to bundle her up in a soft cloth. Uh, in ropes, and she would be brought back just to be put away in another kind of institution, private or public. So, you know, as people go to fairs, children go to fairs and play in uh, merry-go-rounds. I was visiting (laughs) many mental asylums when I was five and six years old. It was not funny, let me say. I lost my childhood. I, I touched base with reality and I landed on planet Earth with a bang, you know, Mm -hmm. I learned about these institutions when I should be learning about laughter, you know, about cousins, about, you know, childhood play, about swings, about all of that. No, I didn't get any of that. So Mm -hmm. um, I learned Mm -hmm. about schizophrenia when very young. So like you mentioned about your mother, you know, she, she just sort of ran away. One of the interviews uh, on the SOS show, I had a gentleman called Peter Bullimore. Uh, he's a UK-based uh, person. He also runs the Voice Heroes Network. And uh, he mentioned it very categorically that he did not have, he did not have schizophrenia. He, for him... There's nothing like schizophrenia. It is it is a man-made thing. Do you think now looking back, do you feel the same about your mom? Well, I think that there is a diversity of human experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at uh, research papers uh, and if you if you hear about experiences in communities where we serve, like the poor communities. Mm-hmm. Um, And in fact, even in different parts of the so-called developed West, Hmm. um, they say that a large percentage of people have strange experiences, um, including hearing voices, you know, having strange belief systems, uh, having strange cultural habits, you know, uh, spiritual habits. So there is a lot of diversity in the human experience. 
Mm. Um, and uh, I believe that, uh, you know, to be able to communicate with beings outside of oneself is a very common phenomenon. You know, there are people who get possessed by Devi, by mm. by the jinn, by spirits, mm. you know, by Jesus Christ, you know, but I mean, all kinds of, you know, uh, all kinds of entities. Mm-hmm. Uh, we allow our bodies to be so inhabited. So I would say that we need to be tolerant of cultural belief systems and individual belief systems and experiences without lab- labeling them mm-hmm. as, as pathology. For a lot of people, uh, hearing voices is a resource, you know, to escape from the trauma and to cope with early childhood trauma. Mm. Um, and I think this is so important to recognize that not to jump into schizophrenia and start, you know, putting them into institutions, starting forced medication, you know, to early intervention, this and that. So it really does not allow a person, you know, to come to terms with what is it that they are going through, how they are experiencing what they are experiencing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's I think Absolutely. And all young people, especially, I, what, my mother must have been 18 years old. When oh, my she's, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and and she died young. Huh? She died like 55, something like that. Oh she lived large parts of her life as a homeless woman on the streets. Uh, and I shudder even today to think how she may have survived those days when my, God. my family mm. threw her out and she was wandering about, you know, I have no clue uh, how mm. she lived. She was, mm. Of course, now she's left behind a pack of her poems and I hope to engage with it when I have the courage to read mm. some of them. Yes. Um, yeah, yes. but uh, no, I really don't think there is something called schizophrenia or something called depression or something called OCD. I think this is part of human diversity and if given a chance, people do understand the disabling parts of these experiences they do learn to cope with it where necessary. They seek out support systems. They're not seeking out mental institutions. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Even when you put them in there, they come out like really scared, terrified, yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. sometimes violent. Ki, how dare you do this to me? You've just taken me out yeah. you know, of my sphere of experiences and put me in a place where I don't want to be. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and my mother was very angry, I remember. We see a lot of people who go in there, you know, people like Reshma Valley, there are a whole yeah. range of yes. people, whole yes. range of people who are yeah. angry, you know, that yeah. I ask for care and you give me detention. What is that? You know? True, true. In fact, you in fact you just mentioned before we started the podcast was the very use of the term mental illness is something that's debatable and we should reconsider using the term. Yeah, mental uh, mental health diagnostics is uh, what people swear by within the profession. Hmm. Um, but uh, we have really advocated for listening to people's stories without assumptions that it is pathology to begin with. Um, you know, I've, I've also written a lot on the philosophical foundations of the concept of mental illness. You said that we are jumping into conclusions and we are already labeling people who are listening to voices or are perhaps have a slight different, uh, you know, angle to life, the way they are living it. Uh, do you think that this is something that needs to be addressed 
at a deeper level perhaps by the by the governing institutes by people who are you know making the laws of course i mean there is a very big discourse today following the convention on rights of persons with disabilities what are we doing you know with the psychosocial disabilities yeah um, you know um, there has been a lot of advocacy to say that uh, a mental illness is like physical illness so if you're taking your medicine for your diabetes you should also take your medicines for your mental illness now the thing is you know and this is the trick you know and this is the trick that we have to uh, really be cautious about and we really need to deconstruct this trick and because if you say diabetes there is a you know every morning people take out a glucometer prick their finger and see how much sugar they have mm. with mental illness so called there is nothing physiological anatomical you know uh, lab based testing x-ray ct scan mri scans uh, whatever complicated you know uh, diagnostics you will never find anything that will tell you that you have something called schizophrenia really yes. something so if you say it's a disease Hmm. tell tell me where is it in my body and can hmm. you give me evidence of it so why why don't we have this is something that peter also pointed it out that we do not have any diagnostic except a couple of couple of things that the person shares they are hearing voices they are perhaps you know a couple of two three more things that he mentioned but but so so why are why isn't this why isn't this getting addressed do you think because this has been raised multiple times people living with it uh, so do you think that there is a there is a lack of research somewhere the question that i multiple times asked that do you think that we we still ancient our the way of our way of seeing it is still very ancient and we have not we have not grown from those since the past 100 years of its diagno of its you know the term being used schizophrenia we've not we, we haven't particularly come to any conclusion that you know what is the stat- status right now of schizophrenia do we do we need to see from another angle or do we need to see from another research what what's your what's your perspective no absolutely um, i think that's an amazing way of articulating this question uh, suchita and so thank you so much sure. for that uh, i have basically two responses there's a lot of people who write uh, on this topic of uh, construction of mental illness uh, i'm particularly remembering uh, peter levine peter bregan uh several people thomas says there are so many people who have written for years on this topic from different perspectives mm. uh why mental illness is a you know nicholas rose people should read nicholas rose um, mm. Mm. and so there are a lot of people who have been writing for decades i would say uh, on the epiphany uh, of mm. mental illness there is there is human suffering you know yeah. and there is recognition of human suffering you know you said ancient now ancient knowledge is good yeah it is the colonial knowledge which has corrupted our care systems mm-hmm. uh, and mental illness as a diagnosis comes not from ancient knowledge it comes from colonial constructions mm-hmm. uh, i think this we must uh, differentiate if you look at sure. buddhism for example mm-hmm. it has deep deep profound recognition 
of human suffering, the fact that when you get attached to things, when you get attached to people, you know, when you start hoarding stuff, you know, when you neglect your body, when you neglect your breath, uh, when you look, neglect your sensory experiences, your vision is telling you something and your thought process is telling you something else. You know, mm-hmm. your mind, body, you know, no connection is there between your mind and your body. So there are so many traditional ways of looking at human suffering. Uh, and finding, uh, you know, solutions for that. Um, So I would say that, uh, you know, mental illness as a category is, it's not an ancient one. It is actually a so-called modern one. Mm -hmm. Uh, It hasn't left the sector. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I wish that we would give up on these, uh, you know, so-called modern categories and go back to some traditional ways of looking at human suffering and how to be redeemed from that. Right. Yeah. So, right. in fact, in the Bapu Trust where I work, we use a yeah. lot of traditional knowledge, uh, indigenous knowledge, to yeah. understand uh, the diversity of human experiences and how, yeah, how to accept them. Yeah. In fact, in fact, in the indigenous culture, uh, if we point out, if we see these things are pretty common in terms, of, like you said, you know, it's pretty common, you know, to hear voices. It's pretty common to, you know. Uh, to get into that space. It's not something new. They've not given any labeling to it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and uh, well, I can talk about Buddhism because that is our form of practice. We are basically arts-based therapists in the Bapu Trust. Hmm. Uh, many of us have also gone through trauma. Well, I want to go back to your question and take another stream of thought and practice, which is very much, you know, like contemporary Right. I don't want to use the word modern because in mental health care, a lot is getting passed on as modern. Uh, in my view, many of those things, as I've just mentioned, they are not modern uh, or they are modern and colonial because a lot of modern stuff is colonial uh, in its origins. So, mm-hmm. But I want to talk about contemporary ways of understanding, you know, uh, mental health issues, particularly what we have called schizophrenia or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like um, outlying spectrum of human experiences. These are outlying spectrum, um, you know, hearing voices, for example, having strange belief systems. So yeah. if you look at the recent uh, neuroscience, now mm-hmm. we have to understand that psychiatry is not neuroscience. Mm-hmm. Psychiatry is based on statistical um, estimation of populations going through certain indicators of human experience. Those human experience indicators are not exhaustive. Mm. It is a statistical science. It does not give you physiology, uh, anatomy. It doesn't give you brain, brain science. It doesn't give you any of that. Right. Now, the drug industry is based on the psychiatric uh, you know, the, on psychiatric diagnosis. So yes. therefore, that is also an epiphany. Like, you, you know, you've been saying that it's a hit and miss. Yes, it's a hit and miss. It works mm-hmm. for some people. Go ahead and use it. It doesn't work for some people. Drop it. No. So mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it's any, it's like you like this uh, shirt, you wear it. You don't like the shirt, you drop it, find another one you like. Mm. Uh, so it's like that. Um, and so if you want to really look at the neuroscientific basis of human diversity, then you look at trauma studies. Uh, there is a lot out there coming out almost every day. Trauma studies is like as recent as 20 years and growing. Mm-hmm. Um, immense amount of research. For example, mm-hmm. that childhood sexual abuse can result in voice hearing. Uh, many of us, you know, who are into trauma work, 
we've stopped yeah. saying schizophrenia because schizophrenia is not a disease it's a set mm. of experiences um, mm. it's like saying i have flu you know uh, what causes that flu where is it originate from mm. you know and what is the clustering of experiences that needs to be investigated mm, um, sure so a lot, yeah and a lot of people are looking at some of these outlying human experiences as consequence of social deprivation social isolation in childhood childhood sexual abuse childhood physical abuse and stuff like that mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it is from trauma studies it's from nutrition metabolic studies right uh, you know in our work in the bastis um we had a woman who the family had uh, recently brought her into their family as a daughter in law uh, and she was just curling up and going to bed you know and she was not doing any of the household work Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the, they came to us saying that uh, she has no interest in family life we explored more she said no there she is not interested in sexual life with her husband uh and then we explored more and more and we figured out that she has severe anemia severe means like life threatening anemia mm-hmm. um and uh, so we got her treated for metabolic problems you know uh, corrected the anemia but mm-hmm. it took us long it, it was easy to correct the anemia but it took us much longer to correct the attitude of the family which had started to see her as crazy uh, mm-hmm. you know uh, the treatment was for the family uh, mm-hmm. you know, there was a big attitudinal disease in that family and we mm-hmm. had to address that um yeah and so this is the kind of framework that we would use across mm, uh, sure. you know suffering yeah 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 now we're quickly coming to the point of the medication part you mentioned that your mother was given so much of medicine she actually became dysfunctional you know and tell me and i have seen this across i've spoken to people met them and even in the episodes uh i've spoken to many who are under medication uh 70 80% of them sort of approve of it for, for them it's very important they cannot function without medications but they're also aware about the side effects of it like for example people with bipolar they have said that yes they are they are on regular medication they are functioning because of medication and if they don't take their medication they will not be able to get through the day but they're also aware about the side effects like they know that it might damage their kidneys the doctors are aware about it and they have told them to reduce the dose the mg of the the consuming the medication that's been given to them and it's all been sort of sorted out but there is 10 to 15% who are who are also part of the podcast who have said they are totally anti medication and they have said that the way the medicine is has been given is it's it's sort of it's 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 something that they don't need and uh, uh, they're also on the internet in terms of the research work there's massive amount of data available that that's mad in america website you can check it in various other places would you would you sort of try and because we are trying to demystify this aspect of medication versus non medication what is your take on the whole medicine aspect of it huh well you know i have been through life threatening depression yeah um, suicidal attempts all of that mm. also been through a series of health crises relating to early trauma experiences you know autoimmune disorder hypothyroid condition uh diabetes you know hyper hypertension uh, all kinds of stuff um and i would say for me uh 
to talk about medicine it's not just about psychiatric medicines it's about yeah. all kinds of allopathic medicines um i don't think that there is a healthcare system available which looks at uh diagnostics holistically uh in our mm. communities we take people you know who claim to be depressed we take them for tb we take them for tb treatment we take them for you know anemia treatment we take them for malnutrition malnutrition treatment is our highest number of occurring uh, you know uh, it's it's the highest occurrence in our communities malnutrition uh and uh, mostly it comes as depression and so on there are people who have written books that there are at least 55 57 it might be higher now this is an old book mm-hmm. uh, medical conditions which present as psychological problem uh for example you know certain undetected forms of epilepsy uh for example you know thyroid conditions uh, you know uh, uh hyperthyroid condition can show up as bipolar illness so there is a lot of that i and i don't know the typical mental health professional who gives time for diagnosis uh i have heard again and again again and again that they give barely 5 minutes they have a multi axial system of diagnosis where they are supposed to explore so it's a very rare person a very rare uh breed of mental health professional who would actually sit down and say hey i know in some institutes very prestigious institutes in india they do diagnosis over a month yeah uh, uh but that's not your regular private clinic uh, professional you know it's and it's across all healthcare sector huh? it's not just about mental health professionals i think a lot of people have a knee jerk response to diagnosis and treatment mm-hmm. um, recently i had a very bad experience with my diabetes diagnosis eventually i found out that diabetes also is a symptom uh, is a is a cluster of experiences and it's not a disease as such um, mm-hmm. so i would say across the so called illness you know illness categories uh, today there is so little understanding which is holistic even so, today hmm. yeah yeah absolutely absolutely hmm. Hmm. um and more so as we become privatized corporatized healthcare hmm. is becoming more and more a business opportunity than uh, any in any way related to hippocratic oath you know right. so there is a lot of all that going on so there is a political economy to the concept yeah. of illness right um, people should be aware of it then they can make their choice they should be able to make you are a consumer you make demands right you you should be able to tell your your service provider that this drug is not suiting me can you change it the thing is what happens when this dialogue is set up is that because in india today you have laws which uh, do not recognize the basic personhood of a person who is diagnosed with a so called men- mental disorder so they are right. seen as of unsound mind they are supposed to lack again a colonial you know legal system inherited and not reviewed in all these years mm-hmm. uh, so there is this whole culture where you know and reshma talks about it a lot yes yeah she 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 did another in the first episode of the podcast she was there yeah she did she did it should but 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 bark you quickly come to the point where you, know, you just mentioned about the medication the trial and error part i just want to sort of you know quickly get it from your your experience that we are still doing a lot of trial and error when it comes to specifically to mental 
illnesses, you know, and uh, severe mental illnesses like bipolar, like schizophrenia. So do you think that this trial and error, which is going on for, 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 for decades now, it's because we are still sort of not clear about the research aspect and that is something that needs to be focused on. And also also because you at Bapu Trust are also into the research and mind and discourse? Well, yes. I mean, I, I'm not decrying the need for medicines, but what is the basket of medicines we are talking about? Uh, for a lot of our clients in the communities, we take them to a general physician who says you have vitamin deficiency. So they mm. prescribe medicines for vitamin deficiency. And today nobody can say that limitation or deprivation in vitamin B can cause a depression. People know this. Mm. Uh, mm. And so what kind of even this diabetology, my diabetes condition, I recently found out that actually it is it was not, uh, you know, diabetes was the epi- epiphany. You know, I really had an iron disorder. So oh, I didn't, God. I stopped, mm. yeah, I didn't go to the diabetologist. I stopped going because they would just laugh at me and say, huh, you say you're doing this and you're doing that. You're meditating, you're doing gardening. What bullshit? Yeah. Because your, your sugar levels are like sky high. So eventually after, believe me, 25 years, I went to a hematologist. Hmm. And now I'm under treatment from a hematologist. Of course, what I did was to completely stop my iron intake. I am at zero iron consumption. Even then, my HB levels are sky high. So I have an iron binding problem, which nobody diagnosed. You know, So of course, medicines are required. So now I'm on supplements, you know, curcumin, this and that. But the thing is, that is also research. And there is immense amount. There are journals devoted to metabolism and mental health. Right. journals, international journals devoted to, but who is reading? You know, are we consumers of that research? Or are we consumers of just what, you know, the general mainstream mental health system is saying? Uh, the mm. amount of oceans of literature pouring out today on treatment for depression from a metabolic nutritional perspective, it is oceanic. It's oceanic. The kind of, uh, you know, so I'm not against medicines. I'm saying that, okay, let's find the correct person who can give us the right kind of medicine, which will work for us. It could be a nutritionist. It could be a sports, mm. it's a, it could be a sports doctor. It could be, you know, or it could be like, you know, uh, traditional healing. Uh, so medicine is required. I mean, generally human beings have health issues of all kinds and we don't need medicines. Right. But who do we go to? I think that is the critical issue. Right. Uh, Who do we go to? And do we have choice in the matter? I think that is the legal issue. Mm -hmm. Do we have choice in the matter or are we dragged into some system or the other by saying that you absolutely need to follow this? No, but but also coming to the point of alternate therapy, which uh, is also a lot of people have recommended on the podcast. You also endorse that. How do you define alternate therapy? And do you think that something... Do you think your mom would have been a better position if she was given an alternate therapy? Can I even have been a position to ask that question? I'm just taking my chances. Oh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for that qualifier. I think it, come, it, it will come in good standing because I never advocated alternate therapy. Right. Yeah, because like I said, psychiatry has a very short history. Buddhism has a history of 2,500 years. Do you know Mm. that the Buddha left behind 84,000 
meditative brain training techniques 84000 wow. in a short life of 45 he lived about 80 the mm. 45 years that he taught and he taught and he practiced and he practiced he left behind 84000 mind training techniques wow wow that's not an alternative that is so much part of our culture so much part of our culture it's so much part of our ancient knowledge and wisdom so also in hindu traditions you have like tons of you know such uh, techniques to keep us positive to wake up with hope to say thank you you know i'm alive and i'm happy this day uh, you know there's so much of that there's so much of that we are we are like we are having a rich culture in asian asia yoga yoga mm-hmm. how old is that that's not an alternative right. that is that is mainstream asia pacific and i'm sure that there is mainstream europe and there is mainstream africa where these cultural traditions have been forgotten and now we have started calling them alternatives many of the yoga practitioners in the world today and definitely in pune city and in india you know they don't consider themselves as an alternative therapy hmm they are just doing what tradition has taught them to do for decades hundreds of years right yeah and so and they are they are recognizing human suffering and they are providing necessary supports um so and that is the kind of dichotomy that i want to challenge that there is a mainstream and there is a alternative and all the other things that we do are alternative for me my nutrition my gardening you know i grow vegetables i love the sunshine you know i love to walk uh you know i love to do so many things i i a, i used to be a i mean i just used to live on my bicycle uh so i i think my my nutrition and my plate of food is something else altogether you know and i don't think this is alternative this is how human beings are supposed to live mm. and mm. this is a way of life right um, so let's talk about modern mental health care and mm. choosing ways of life that suit us Yeah, so I think that's how I would. Mm. Yeah, that's how I would. I, I would that, that's it. that's that's interesting. Mark, we quickly because you're working in the in the in the bastis and you're also aware about the city life. Quickly, if you if you would like to sort of say some pointers in terms of the understanding of mental health in bastis versus in the cities and the kind of what's the kind of treatment that's given into in these two different uh, uh, areas of uh, of life of where people live. Yeah, uh, luckily, you know, the people in the bastis have never seen a mental health professional because it's not very uh, conducive for business to set up a clinic in the basti. Nobody would be able to pay for the treatment. Right. Um and so we don't see a lot of them, I mean, we don't see anybody at all in the public health system, nor do we see them in in you know, in private practice in the bastis. Uh like you see them in other parts of city life. Right. Um um you know because you made this uh, this uh, this remark about city living people and basti living people i want to say that um one in every three persons in a city small city like pune comparatively mm-hmm. small city like pune lives in the slums uh, mm-hmm. which is a very high percentage um, mm-hmm. i'm sure that in cities like delhi and mumbai it would be mm-hmm. much higher Yes. Um and we've been working there 18 years and uh, it led us to search for new ways of talking about human diversity, human experiences of distress, disturbances and disabilities. Uh because you know like 
mostly they talk an embodied language they i have never heard anyone say i'm depressed today there's a tension worry chinta yeah. chinta chal mm-hmm. raha Hmm. Uh, then uh, sardar you know body is burning i have stone in my stomach i have snake in my stomach all my joints are paining you know yes. uh, i feel numb i can't walk my leg, legs are like wood uh, i feel uh, i'm 100 kilos heavier things like this right. um, yeah and uh, so um, yeah so that and you, you don't go and tell them you're not aware of mental health issue actually you have schizophrenia or depression you don't say that that's not respectful of the human experience that they are trying to connect with you on right uh, and so we've devised our own way of we have a glossary of terms used by the people in the bastis uh, right. and largely we use non verbal ways of working with them and supporting them and that's where arts based therapy run a year long arts based therapy course mm-hmm. uh, every year um, and uh, so yeah we can find it at if you just look for bt abt you'll find it um and uh, so arts based therapy opens up uh, in arts based therapy the body uh, and mind are one whole and the, you can enter the uh, healing space by working with all the five senses and the mind consciousness so based on buddhist uh, buddhist frameworks yeah uh, and we offer this every year and this is the this is mostly the kind of modality that we use in the bapu trust right. um, other than of course nutrition social capital development things like that right yeah. amazing brilliant so great bhargi thank you so much i'm going to put across your website uh, as well for our listeners to check it out and thank you so much for your time thank you so much for the work that you're doing and i really really appreciate it thank you so much suchita for this opportunity um, and all the best to all the listeners as well thanks a lot so guys if you have any thoughts on this very important topic which is about pro and anti medication if you have any stories to share with us we're always open to hear you you can write to us on the email id mentioned in the description and you can connect with us on our insta and twitter handle as well you can dm it to us We are there with Metaphysical Lab and EP Log Media. Stay well and take good care of yourself.